This week I had the opportunity to visit with Casey Shohan. Casey is with Together CFO, and it's a virtual CFO service. And it was timely because I was uh, reviewing some financial statements, and oh my gosh, it, they were just so, so bad. And we run into that a lot, where the financial condition of the financial statements are are, are just abysmal. And when we aren't able to make heads or tails or be able to track expenses and income, it impairs value. It just, it just does. And the, the buyer or the bank or anyone else that's reviewing them or scrutinizing them, they lack the confidence that they're accurate. And so that's where he comes in. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with him. Please welcome. Please welcome. Welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Misogland. I'm your host, Ed Misogland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove the risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want and to whom they want. On today's show, I am really excited about this one. I'm excited to welcome Casey Chohan of Together CFO. Born and raised in England, Casey moved to the United States in 2012 uh, with the Fortune 500 company, FlowServe. And he worked there, and then he left there to begin Together CFO in 2016. And that's where he is today and why we're talking, because he helps companies of businesses of $2 million plus in revenue scale growth through improved financial strategy and awareness. Now, Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Ed. I, I didn't do that introduction justice, so uh, if you don't mind, can you go back and uh, give us a little history about how you came to Together CFO? Yeah, absolutely. So if you can imagine uh, a kid growing up in the countryside of England, there's lots of beautiful green fields, rolling hills, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, running around, playing in the mud and the grass with my dogs. Basically, that was me as a kid. I was very hopelessly curious. Uh, I had a desire to grow, which kind of led me into business and a big interest in solving big problems. I loved solving big problems and really pushing people and things to the limits to see where, how far we could progress. From there, I ended up getting a degree in business and finance because I thought they were two great skills to help um, build businesses, not really thinking that I would go and start my own accounting firm. From there, I, um, from university, I went straight into bookkeeping which kind of gives me a visceral cringe every time I talk about it because uh, it's uh, a little bit boring and it's not really uh, a good fit with my personality. But I, uh, I had a job offer straight out of university, so it was too difficult for me to, uh, to turn that down at the time. Um, but I quickly realized that there was I had a lot more to offer than just the basic bookkeeping, but I did want to stay in that finance accounting business area. So it was it was really apparent to me that, that that wasn't aligned with my unique disposition and personality. And one of the things I really believe strongly in is that to be successful, you need to be in a place where you thrive. Um, so, so that then led me on further in my career. Uh, I'm much more of an outgoing person than I am an introvert. So the idea of becoming 
an entrepreneur is something that kind of just fit well with me. Um, so yeah, so then, um, so unlike most of the people from my university days, they mainly moved to London or Dubai, but were basically in investment banking or finance. I moved back to my hometown and started this job um, and quickly changed and worked, then got a job with FlowServe, which is where I spent the majority of my uh, learning days. So FlowServe was fantastic. It's a big Fortune 500 company. I did eight years there, relocated two times, and then eventually out here to where I am today in Los Angeles. Um, after those eight years and nearly a decade of working with uh, with FlowServe, I really had enough of the corporate lifestyle. It was nearly you know, a decade worth of doing month-end close, cash flow analysis, forecasting, budgeting, building better systems and processes. So um, it was a good time for me to leave. And then by the time I left FlowServe, actually, they were doing $4.7 billion in annual sales with a B. So, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of money there. And, uh, but to be totally honest with you, I got very bored of corporate America and their focus was, uh, was maximizing everything rather than optimizing first. So, it was, and it was all about perception over results. And that really didn't sit too well with me. Um, I'm more about delivering results over perception. So, uh, so that's when I kind of went from the big corporate background into the startup world. I was then working with smaller million-dollar companies as their CFO and CFOO to really make a bigger impact. So at this point, I started seeing some great results because I was able to be more hands-on with the marketing people, the operations people, and kind of bring the whole team together and help everyone understand the finance element so we could move in the same direction. Um, so this is where I really uh, started the idea of Together CFO. Um, after working for a few startups, I started getting asked a lot of questions by people. And I quickly realized I'm pretty good at this CFO thing and that there was a huge opportunity to add value to small business owners. Um, so we started off helping startups initially. And then as we've transitioned over the last few years, we now help uh, companies that are doing around a million to two million as a minimum. Um, but again, that does include hyper growth companies. So even if you're on the lower end of that or below that, if your desire is to really grow and really hyper perform, then uh, we do consider that as well. But ultimately speaking, we, uh, we help people better understand their numbers, their metrics, so that they can control their business better in whichever direction that is, whether it's a sale, an acquisition, or whether they just want to keep hold of a healthy business for generational wealth. Um, hope that. Yeah. You make uh, mention of um, the, the CFO service. And one of the things I guess I always wanted to know is what makes a good CFO? So one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being able to explain the numbers to non-financial people and not have their eyes glaze over. Now that might sound like a small thing, but oh no, you, that, that's a huge thing. <laughs> if you've spoken to many CFOs, um, you will probably be very bored. Um, the majority, not all of them, but the majority of, of CFOs are a little bit old school or traditional, and they don't really deliver the information in a way that's enticing to the end user. So we kind of present our reports in an Apple-esque fashion. We spent a lot of money on uh, 
UX design to make sure that our reports make sense. People can understand them even if they are non-financial people. And that ultimately you can make better decisions to grow the business. So I think a lot of it boils down to communication and really knowing who that end user of the uh, information is. Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, we started to talk about before I hit record was working with someone virtual is a difficult proposition. And it, it, it always is regardless of, of what it is, because I think, especially in the, in the world of the baby boomer, it's hard. If you can't touch and feel and see that person, that causes me a little bit of anxiety. And even, even with the platforms, you know, the zooms out there and the go to meetings, it's still, it, it still causes, you know, some, some challenges. And with you working in accounting, I would assume that it's it's even more amplified. So my question has more to do with how do you make this painless and comfortable for the business owner to use it? Because I know when people outsource, you know, they wish they had done it a long time ago. Yeah, so we, we actually have a very robust system to help uh, with that, I would say 90% of our clients are uh, actually virtual and remote. And we only have 10% that's local. Uh, and that means local to a CFO. So we have a network of CFOs. So the way we kind of differentiate ourselves from other firms is we have a kickoff meeting to start off with. Uh, we learn about you. You learn about us. We go over some tools and processes. And then before we get into any engagement with anyone, we perform um, a CFO roadmap, a deep dive, so to speak, where we're really going into the business. We're understanding what is happening, what isn't happening, what the goals are, so we can see where the gaps are, really. And then we we create a presentation or a report for the business owners or the leadership team, and we go over that. So in that report and documentation, we're, we're um, really connecting with the people. We're understanding what their needs are. Do they like to see reports that are printed and bound and given to them physically? Are they happy reading reports on a laptop? Do they want reports to be delivered in person as a presentation? So we're kind of we're building up that relationship as we do that first step of work. And then once we've got to that stage, we are then at a better place and a better position to accurately say, hey, this is what we think needs doing right now. This is what potentially needs done going forward and getting their feedback on that. So it's very much, we learn to, to date people before we marry them. Yeah. You know, the reason I started this podcast was, you know, I wanted to help people understand what, how to create, preserve, and then ultimately transfer value. And so in that framework, I mean, how do business owners think about business value as they're working with you or are you coaching them into, you know what, at some point you're going to be out of here. And I don't know when that is, but you should probably start thinking about the value and exit strategies. Do I mean, do you get into that or are you just, you know what, let's talk about growth and we'll worry about exit later. No, no, we definitely get into that at an early stage. It's all part of the goal setting. So for us, it's very, very important to understand what the client's goals are. So obviously everyone's goals are all different, but to understand if a client is looking to expand or sell or just keep uh, a business for generational wealth or fix the business if it's not performing too well. So once we have a clear understanding of those goals, we then dig into the numbers and we make different decisions based on those goals. 
So it's a, it's a key part of, of knowing um, what the owner of the business actually wants to do. So um, because you would, you would take a different strategy if someone wanted to merge or acquire another company versus selling their own company. It's two completely different financial strategies. So we need to have that in mind front and center from the off so that we can engineer the business in the right direction. Well, how hard is it to pivot in that scenario? So I'm uh, looking at growing through acquisition, you know, conversely, I'm looking at organic growth. I mean, is that a, is that an easy pivot? I guess, how much runway do you need in order to effectively help that business do what uh, they wish to do? Uh, it's all about time and attention. You, you will grow where you put your attention and where you put your focus. Um, so if the focus is then split 50, 50, or if you really wanted to have an acquisition or a merger, that's where you put your attention then we can attract that and we can line up getting ready for that. But more importantly, getting ready in a way where you're getting the most value out of your business. Uh, Cause you put a lot of hard time and blood, sweat and tears into growing the business. It would be, uh, it wouldn't do it justice to not sell it for the right value. It was really worth just because you didn't have the numbers set up in the right way. So in order to really answer your question, it's not difficult to pivot. It's just a matter of putting more time and attention into that area. Well, I'll tell you one of the, the hardest things and, and you, and you brought it up, but it's, it's the attention and a business owner, you know, wears so many different hats. You know, when you start your process and, and you, and you begin working with the business owner, how do you, how do you transition from, this is not about X's and O's. Now we, we need to talk about allocation of time and how collectively we're going to grow together. How do you do that? Because I know every guest that I've had on this podcast has expressed the same thing that it's easier for a business owner to write a check than it is to give the attention. So, I mean, how are you doing it? Yeah, it's, it's the hardest part is to get the attention of the business owner because understandably they have hundreds of fires to be putting out all at the same time. Uh, the way we do it is looking at the scoreboard. We have a set dedicated time, whether that's uh, weekly, bi-monthly or monthly to sit down and really get that one-on-one -on -one time with the business owner. And if the business owner can't commit to that, then they're not a good fit for us. We're very selective on, on who we bring in. And that's again, goes back to uh, our initial process of, the CFO roadmap, and then the report, because a lot of that roadmap, that usually takes uh, between three and four weeks to complete. And we're always asking for a lot of information and a lot of back and forth. So during that process, we can pretty much see very quickly if uh, a client is going to be a good client for us to move forward or not based on their responsiveness and their attention to detail. And if we don't feel that we're getting enough of that, then, um, we wouldn't want to work with that person. So it's kind of a pre-filter for us. Sure. In, in the research I did um, prior to the, to the interview, uh, I mean, you're, you're known about helping companies grow. So what kind of tips that the audience can easily implement to help them grow? Um, the first one is have a very good scorecard. So if you have a really good scorecard, and this is numbers, metrics, and whatever other good indicated information there is to make better decisions, if you have a solid scorecard in your business and you're, and you're reviewing it weekly, that, that's one really strong uh, basic principle to help you 
get ahead of potential issues. Um, so that, that's one of the things we implement straight away or improve on if people already have a basic scorecard. We go in and we really dig into what are good metrics to be looking at, what are indicative metrics rather than just, oh, my sales went up or my sales went down, but to really get into what are the drivers that are driving those activities. Uh, and then another one would be uh, right people, right seats. So you might have a really, really good member of staff but he just might be in the wrong department or in the wrong area. Now, changing that member around or letting that member go is a very difficult decision, but in the long term, it's going to be the best decision for the company. Um, we, ha we have a lot of pushback when we get to this one, but ultimately, right people, right seats is a fundamental. If you don't have a, a, the right team around you, you're not able to scale to that next level and you're not able to kind of get the full value out of your business. And then the third one I would say is systems and processes. If you have solid systems in place and processes that your staff can follow, then that just gives ultimate clarity. And regardless of if you have staff turnover, people are sick, someone could come in, pick up the procedure and follow it through. That's, uh, that's when you get into an ideal state. Yeah. So it sounds a, an awful lot like EOS. I mean, the, the based off the book traction, I mean, we're, we're and you know, we have a private equity group here in Indianapolis that uh, actually acquired the EOS franchise, so to speak. And so, you know, Indianapolis is a hotbed of, um, you know, EOS implementers. So it's interesting because I'm hearing that a lot. And I think, I think you're right. And, and, and do you come alongside the EOS implementer or are you, and, and I, I, I should probably say, you know, most EOS folks are, are probably self implementing. Do you come alongside them or do you work with other EOS implementers to, you know, work together? You work the financials, they work on the implementation of, of system and process. Yeah, it's definitely side by side. We, yeah. we don't get involved in the implementation or the execution of that. We just, we just fundamentally believe in, in the framework, I think it has a lot of power and it makes a lot of sense. So in terms of the financial metric side of it, it's, it's exactly what we do. And they phrase it in such a powerful way. They then put other tools on top of that with the vision tools, the VTOs and, and things of that nature, which is all perfectly fine. But when we get down to, to the real meat and potatoes of it, which is the numbers and what are we doing to, to drive those numbers, a lot of the things, it all it all circles back to two real things, systems and processes as one, and having the right people. If a company doesn't have those two fundamentals, it's going to be very difficult to scale. So if they're in place, then you can then put the scorecards on top, put the financial metrics on top, and kind of stack a really powerful company at that point. I know you've worked with lots of business owners, and you know, over the course of, of working with them, have you seen any habits that the business owner has had that, or practices that they do that, that attributed to an increase in business value? Yeah. I think the first one is making decisions. The, uh, the most successful business owners that I've worked with all make decisions very quickly. They get enough information where they have a level of comfort, but they act fast. Uh, they're not dwelling around waiting weeks to make a decision because um, time just goes by way too quickly these days. So that would be 
uh, a big one. Uh, another one is mindset, meditation, um, just getting into a daily ritual of kind of personal development, making sure you're starting the day well. Um, and a lot of a lot of the CEOs and myself included, uh, I do a Tony Robbins 15-minute breathing ritual at the start of every day just to kind of get me in the right frame of mind to take on the day. I find that very valuable. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of the main two, but... Ultimately, if you surround yourself with a strong team and you have leaders around you that are bringing you different perspectives but also solutions, uh, that helps. You were talking about meditation. Do you use uh, a particular app? Uh, There's a a lot of ones. Headspace is a good one. Uh, But I just go onto YouTube, really, and type in Tony Robbins' uh, breathing ritual. So I'm a Headspace guy, so I, I, uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Um. And I, and I, I agree with you. And, and the, I also agree with that. And it, it came from my mother, you know, if you just make your decision, you have a 50% chance of being right. And it's true. So, so why prolong the decision? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So when we look at uh, using your service and, and a business owner is able to extract this role from themselves, what have you observed how a business owner was able to do that? Because I think that's, that's always where the friction is, is, is number one, relinquishing control. And then number two, being okay, passing, it's not going to be as painful as, as you think to offload this responsibility from you to together CFO. Any thoughts on, on how that happens or tips? It, it takes a certain level of trust before you can delegate the numbers out. It's such a, it's such an intimate part of any business. So we definitely understand that and we're very sensitive around that. So we have to build up a level of trust and show the, uh, the CEO that we can really add value and that working together is in his or her best interests because we are specialists in this and we do this all day, every day and have done for many years uh, and had a lot of success at it too. So it's, it's kind of, they need to have the self-awareness first that, they can't do everything. And part of our initial kind of onboarding tool takes, takes that into account where we pretty much need to hear that the CEO says in their own words, I need help. I can't do this all myself. And once we get to that frame of mind and that stage, we're then happy to say, okay, this person actually does really acknowledge that they can't do all of this. So they want to scale this business from a half a million dollars up to a $4 million company then they need bringing a team to do that. So once we're at that stage and that frame of mind, it makes our, our lives a lot easier. Well, the funny thing is, and we plow into it all the time is, is okay. So you're going to have to, let's, let's just say you're going to have to pay $20,000 a year for this. And there's a disconnect between the amount of money that they're paying versus the, the amplified value in doing so they don't, they, they, they would much rather, and uh, what's it uh, called, cognitive bias, where I would much rather keep what I have at, because it's known, and it may be the wrong decision, than go out into the into the unknown. But I wish all business owners would understand just how integral the the integrity of their financial statements are in the process of valuing as well as selling a company. So. And I'm certain you've probably been part of some sales. I mean, what are some of the due diligence items or areas that the business owner you know, just needs to focus on um, in order to be successful in order to sell? 
Yeah, so just to take the first part of that question, the simple areas are, you know, people don't understand that if you save, let's, let's just say a company is doing 10% margin, if you save $10,000, so you increase the profit by $10,000 in that company, that saves the company having to go make $100,000 worth of sales. And when you put it in that context, business owners don't often see it that way. And it's like, how much extra effort would you have to do to create another $100,000 worth of sales? Or if a skilled person can go through your P&L and cut out $10,000 worth of excess expenditure. Right. It's the same yeah. amount, so. And we see the same thing. I mean, unfortunately, when I when I give some bad value news to a prospective owner, their immediate inclination is I need to go increase revenue in order to close the value gap. From my standpoint, it's it's no that we let's fix the engine first and then we'll add the gas. And boy, I I wish um, every business owner could understand just you know their expense is so much more important than, than the revenue. Not to saying it's not important, but, but fix the engine first. And I think that's where you come in. Yeah, and it's, it's what I said earlier as well, where it's results over perception and it's optimizing before maximizing. So we, we very much look at the ways we can improve, get the, I know it's a corny saying, but the low-hanging fruit in place and kind of polish things up and then we can hit the scale scale up and kind of get the true value out of the business after that. So with the business owners you're working with, are you seeing them more as lifestyle business owners or legacy builders? Uh, we have a mixture of, of, of everything, which is why it's very important for us at an early stage to identify which buckets and where the goals are for each individual business. No two businesses are the same and no real business owner has, has exactly the same needs. So, so we very much tailor what we do for each one of our clients. Out of curiosity, how does a business owner that's focused on lifestyle different than someone that's focused on, on legacy? So if a legacy business owner is just looking to kind of continue on in the same vein and form that the business has been for many, many years, um, there's not really a lot of once we've optimized it and tweaked it and got it really performing well, there's not a lot more we're going to push in terms of, hey, let's look at an acquisition, let's look at a merger, let's buy this, let's expand, um, let's increase everything in terms of the revenues and kind of building a new factory or whatever that expansion looks like. Whereas if someone's in the business for lifestyle and they want to they maintain and create a certain level, that could change quite quickly in terms of, their lifestyle needs, they might just want to buy a private jet. So now all of a sudden we've got to figure out a way to make the company be able to fund a five or $10 million jet. Okay. So what are we going to do to, to get this increase in cash flow and profitability without harming the company? So we'd be a lot more agile with the lifestyle people. And uh, we have one of the things that we specialize in, <coughs> excuse me, is, uh, is taxation setups and trusts and formations. So we, uh, we work very similarly to the likes of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Tony Robbins, and, and the Rothschilds, and the list goes on. Pretty much all the most influential and powerful people in America, they all have a very complex setup of trusts and formations 
And uh, for, for the clients that need that service, we, we offer that as well. So that's one way where we specifically help people uh, create generational wealth, all legal, all above board, and uh, it just limits the amount of tax that they have to pay. Well, I, I want to be sensitive to time. So I've, I've got a couple more questions. And the first one is outside of having a, a good scorecard and having the right people in the right seats, what would have the most immediate impact on a business? In terms of selling it or just in terms of, of understanding what's going on in it? Either or. I mean, because I think one facilitates the other. Well, it's, it's knowing your numbers and having them correct. So a fundamental of all of the things that we spoke about is making sure the books are correct and accurate and in order because the worst thing that can happen is if someone's doing due diligence on your company and they realize that there's some discrepancies with the numbers because then that loses the trust from the offset and it's going to make the transaction drag out a lot longer and, and more than likely you will not get the value that you expected. Got it. So what's the best way we can connect with you? Um, you can reach me at my website, which is togethercf4.com, or you can shoot me an email directly, which is just KC, the two letters, KC, at togethercf4.com. And I actually have a, a little special surprise for all your listeners. If they go to uh, three steps to profit.com, I've, uh, I've got a free ebook there for, uh, for all of the listeners. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you. So Casey, thanks so much for being so generous with your time and experience. I mean, I really I truly appreciate it. And I know our audience uh, appreciates you helping business owners maximize their value. So for all you listening, you know, to learn more about Casey, go to togethercfo.com and I'll have everything in the show notes, especially the downloadable ebook about three steps to profit. So Casey, thanks so much for being so generous with your time and experience. You know, this, this is an important topic on, especially in, when we're working with financials and, and the success of the business. So I appreciate your time. And like I said, to learn more about Casey, go to Together CFO. And Casey, thanks. Thank you so much for being a defender of business value. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Casey. Casey, uh, Casey brings an awful lot to the table. He has done a lot and he has seen a lot. So before you go, uh, I suggest you go over to Defenders of Business Value. We have all the links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And I hope you go there because he has a, a free PDF download for you. And while you're there, sign up for the weekly newsletter, the Legacy Exit Newsletter. If we can help in any way, certainly reach out to me. My email is ed at defendersofbusinessvalue.com. I'll be happy to do what I can to help. Thanks and have a good week.